Really good to see you all. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jago. I'm the rector here. And uh, we're starting uh, this three-week sermon series, A Vision for Joy. So do keep your Bible open. And uh, I'm going to pray now before we go any further. So let's pray, shall we? Uh, Lord Jesus, our, our prayer this morning is so simple. We pray that we might be a people of joy. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would help us know more about what true joy is and how we can be people who are marked by it. So do that work in us, we pray, this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's so lovely to see you all. And I don't know how, um, as you've been sort of here in the service so far, how you've been feeling about having those giant letters behind me, J O. Why? You know, they're nearly as tall as Jamie Mulvaney. They are huge. Um, but there may be some of you, and I don't blame you if this is the case, you're going, Joy, Chago, give me a break. You know, give me a break. There are so many things at the moment that are stealing our joy, that are robbing our contentment, that are pickpocketing our pleasure, both in the world at large and for many of us in our own personal lives too. So, so Jago, how on earth can you be talking about joy? Uh, last Monday, as you know, it was the Queen's funeral. Uh, and I wanted to start by just reading some of the comments that were written uh, in the Times newspaper in sort of the, the sort of various opinion pieces uh, over that funeral bank holiday weekend, last weekend. Let me just give you a couple of things that were written. Here's the first one, Ian Wilson. He said, we've spent the past two weeks drowning our economic and political and social sorrows in a welter of royal sentimentality. And there's a danger we'll look to the new king to save us from our troubles. Who would not rather see the unfolding royal story than return to the reality of rising gas bills, a war in Ukraine, a widening gap between rich and poor, and that was written before Friday's so-called mini-budget. Um, at the moment, we are trying to numb the truth about ourselves by taking an overdose of royalist sentiment. When the funeral's over, when the tears have been dried, when we've gone back to work, the reality of things will resume. I wonder how the, that's how you've been feeling this last week. Or Caitlin Moran, she wrote this. She said, a death is, yes, about grieving and reflection, but it's also the moment when the snow globe of life is shaken up and normal life is hidden in a temporary flurry. Soon, everything will settle again. But much of Britain has, I think, quietly enjoyed this holiday from normality. It knows this winter will have too much normality and it has enjoyed this last late blast of autumn sunshine before everything starts inevitably to get darker. Now, everyone's saying it. I could have quoted you all sorts of other pe things that people wrote in the, just in the Times uh, like that weekend. The coming months are going to be quite a challenge. You know, now is the winter of our discontent, begins the Duke of Gloucester in one of Shakespeare's plays. And that winter of discontent, it seems to be a reality coming upon us. So how on earth do I ever even dare to speak about joy? Over the next three weeks, I am going to make the case that you and I can know a deep, unshakable joy. No matter what the circumstances are in our world or even in our own personal lives, and I'm going to do it by getting us to look at the Old Testament book of Isaiah. 
In fact, just as this country, just as we've been shaken by the death of Queen Elizabeth, so too it for Isaiah, as Isaiah, we read it in Isaiah 6, as he's commissioned by God in the year that King Uzziah died, so there's a shaking for the people of Judah back then and an impending crisis for them too. As the snow globe settles... After the temporary flurry of the royal funeral, both in our time and back in Isaiah's time too, we look forwards to the coming months and a winter of discontent. And yet you only have to do the sums and find that despite the outlook being far from positive in Isaiah's time, actually the book of Isaiah, it could be called a book of joy. It is a book of joy. You know, the only book of the Bible that talks about joy more than the book of Isaiah is the book of Psalms. And that doesn't really count because it's far bigger. It's 150 chapters. In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, joy is mentioned 33 times. And the next most common book where it mentions joy is Luke's gospel. And there, there are only 12 mentions of joy. So this morning, here are three reasons why you and I can be a person of deep, deep joy, even when we're facing a winter of discontent in the snow globe of our lives. Here's the first reason. Number one, look forwards to the joy of an an eternal future city. See, in the passage that we had read, it's right towards the end of the book of Isaiah. God's speaking, and God is encouraging his people back then. He's encouraging you and me today to look forwards, to look forwards beyond our troubles today and our fears for the future tomorrow, and to look forwards in our mind's eye all the way forwards to eternity, to where this world is heading. And it's a city. It's a city. You see, the present reality for Isaiah is of Isaiah is looking out and he's seeing a people and a city, Jerusalem, and they are faithless. They're, they're rejecting God again and again. They're rejecting God. And the book of Isaiah, it could be summarized as how God comes and he transforms a faithless city into a faithful city. And what is this eternal city, this new Jerusalem? What's it characterized by? Above all, what it's characterized by is joy. Just look at the start of our reading that Katrina read for us, verse 17. Look at what it says. God God speaks and he says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I'll create. For I'll create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. You see there, the eternal's future city It is a city of pure joy. Just look at those verses. Look at verse 19. God is joyful there in the future city. Bottom of of page 753, the last verse, he's joyful. Why? Because he's face to face with us, his people. And that brings him, as he's face to face with his people, it brings him such delight and such joy. So, So God is joyful, but so too we, his people, we're joyful too. Because at last, we are face to face with God in the eternal city. And we're delighting in everything that's around us. If you look at verse 18, it says, be glad. God says, be glad and rejoice, rejoice forever in what I'll create. And then also verse 17, it says, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You know, that financial struggle, 
that romantic rejection, that frustrating job, that abuse, that war, that, that cancer, that, that fear that has never been extinguished, that longing that has never been fulfilled, all the troubling things in the snow globe of our lives, they're all gone. All of them. That life that you have always longed for but has always been out of reach, God says he is preparing that for each one of us in that eternal city. Verse 19, the sound of weeping and crying, it will be heard no more. No more. Valentine Lowe, who wrote the, sort of the main article in the Times about the Queen's funeral, he, he began his whole article in the Times, he began it like this. This was his first words in the article. He said this, she was joyful, said the Archbishop of Canterbury, present to so many, touching a multitude of lives. Joy is a word not normally associated with funerals, least of all state funerals, buttressed by all the formality and tradition of mourning, but there was joy. And as you read on in his article, it's clear that Valentine Lowe had begun to grasp why there was such joy at the Queen's funeral on Monday, because the Queen, with her faith in Jesus, knew where she was heading. She knew she was heading to this eternal city of pure joy, and that's why she could be so joyful in this life. And quite simply, if we, you and I, if we're trusting in Jesus, like the queen, that eternal future can bring us joy too. You know, as Justin Welby said, quoting the queen, quoting Dame Vera Lynn, we will meet again. Now, some of you may be thinking, as I've said all that, you may be thinking, Jacob, that, that is great, but it's a bit pie in the sky when you die. And it's all in the future, this, this eternal future. It might be full of joy, but that's the future. You know, right now, my present is still a bit of a nightmare. So much in this world is a bit of a nightmare. So here is the second reason that you and I can be joyful. And it's this. The joy of relationship with Jesus now in our present city, you know, that we can look upwards, we can look up to the joy of that relationship with Jesus. You see, if you look at the start of chapter 65, there's this surprising picture. God is pictured at the start of the chapter, and he's calling out to people, and he's saying, here am I, here am I. It's almost quite embarrassing. There's God seemingly so sort of desperate for his people to respond to him. And what we read in the chapter is actually so many people in Isaiah's time, they're remaining obstinate. They're just ignoring God. As God is calling out, here am I, here am I, they're just ignoring God. God is almost humiliating himself to get notice, such as his love for his people. And of course, that is exactly what God did. About 700 years after Isaiah coming down as a servant, humiliating himself even to death, death on a cross, so that people might be able to come into relationship with him, their sins paid for at the cross. And you know, what we discover as we read through the whole chapter, Isaiah 65, we discover that, it, that those people who begin a relationship with God, those people who, who actually don't remain obstinate, but as they hear God calling, here am I, here am I, those people who, who respond to God's call, they begin a relationship with God, we discover that what they experience is deep joy. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, God's speaking to those who, who've rejected his call, those people who've remained obstinate, and God says this to them. He says, my servants will eat, but you'll go hungry. My servants will drink, but you'll go thirsty. 
My servants will rejoice, but you'll be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts. He's saying we can know a joy in relationship with Jesus now in this present city that we live in. You see, here's the reality. As we think about our society, our society has sought to pursue the kingdom of God. We pursue the kingdom of God, but we so often ignore the king. As a society, we say we want to be a society of love and equality and progress and freedom and compassion. All these great Christian values, we want them all, but we don't want Jesus. But there is a huge problem with wanting the Christian values, but not wanting Jesus. Because values can't comfort you. They can only inform you. Values can't forgive you. They can only judge you. Values can't love you. They can only shame you. Each one of us, we need a person, not just Christian values. We need a king, not just a kingdom. Values alone, they just make us more miserable as we're informed, as we're judged, as we're shamed. No, Jesus Christ, he is the one alone who can give us all the comfort, all the forgiveness, and all the love that every one of us so needs and desires. And that's why a relationship with him brings such joy in the here and now. Because only he can provide that comfort, that forgiveness, that love that we all need and desire. There's a verse a few chapters earlier in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah puts it so well. He's, he's, he's saying to his people, he's saying, if you stop rejecting God, if you stop rejecting God and you look to put your trust in God, he says, this is going to happen. You will find your joy in the Lord. That's where you'll find your joy, your joy in the Lord. And it's not just sort of people out there, it's not just society that needs to hear that. You and I, we need to hear that too. Over the summer, as many of you know, Susanna and I and the family, we were on sabbatical. And um, one of the books that I read while I was on sabbatical was this book about marriage by Francis and Lisa Chan. And uh, one thing they wrote in it which so struck me as I read it, and it was this. They said this, you will never... Find true, lasting joy in someone or something. Marriage is not the source of joy, though many of us assume that it is. Joy is something that we bring into our marriages because we're being filled with joy in our walk with God. It is time to stop looking to your marriage and your spouse to do the things that God promises to do for us. And you know, I don't think it's just sort of marriage that is the problem for all of us. For all of us, we, we may follow Jesus Christ, but if we look to anything other than our relationship with Jesus to be that ultimate thing that must bring us all that joy that we so, so desire, well, we will be left disappointed by that thing. If we're looking to that thing, whatever that thing is, to give us all the joy we want, we will be left disappointed. Whether that thing is marriage or sex or money or popularity or success or whatever it might be, you will find your joy in the Lord. In the Lord. You know, what was the title of C.S. Lewis's famous autobiography as he writes about how he was transformed from being an atheist to being a follower of Jesus Christ, he, dis he called his autobiography surprised by joy. That joy 
of a relationship with Jesus Christ in the here and now in this city. Third reason. Third reason that you and I, that we can be a people of deep joy. Well, it's look across. It's look around. It is the joy of being part of a Christian community renewing this city. I wonder if you've ever struck, been struck by this. I wonder if you've ever wondered. When, in, all through the Bible, when it talks about our eternal future, when it talks about the eternal future, it talks about it as a city. It's not depicted as some sort of rural, idyllic countryside kind of thing. Even though it's the Garden of Eden at the start of the Bible, the Bible is a, it is a story that moves from the rural to the urban. Now, why is that? I think part of it is because when our relationship with God is set right then our relationships with other people begin to be set right too. And people are then drawn in towards each other. We're not sort of trying to escape other people like everyone was during the pandemic, you know, escaping out to the countryside. No, people are wanting to be closer and closer to each other as we are in a city. You know, think famously in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 7 verse 9, it talks about that future city as being a people, uh, whereas the people of every tribe, every nation, every people and language gathering together in the eternal city. And certainly in our reading, as it paints this future city, it's depicted like that, as a people gathering in, gathering together in this city that is full of joy. You know, verse 22, it says, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. But right now in the present, the church, if you like, the church, us, it is a, if you like, a foretaste. If if you like, it's it's an outpost of that future perfect city in the here and now. We right now are a Christian community renewing our earthly city. And we do it through our ministry to this city in word and in deed, sharing the good news of Jesus. We'll talk more about that next week. But today, just for the moment, I want us to see that this happens in the context of being in community, of us being drawn in, being drawn in together towards each other, all sorts of different and varied and diverse people brought, brought in together, drawn in together, and that that brings joy. A couple of chapters earlier, Isaiah speaks of this renewal of the city. It's Isaiah 52, verse 7, and he says this. He says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Zion is just the name for Jerusalem, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they'll see it with their own eyes, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Now, all I want you to see as we look up at those verses, I just want you to see there the sense of community. That sense of coming together to renew the city. What does it do? It brings joy. So look at verse eight. It says, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. Verse 9, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For each one of us, being part of our church, being part of HTC, being part of God's vision for this city, it should bring joy. You know, as a church, I'd love us to think through, each one of us, whether every one of us is doing five things. Everyone belong, everyone grow, everyone pray, everyone serve and everyone give. Just want to focus on the first two today. To be a person of joy, you need to belong 
and you need to grow. You need, we need to be together in Christian community. In terms of everyone belong, everyone belong. If, if you are here and you're new to HGC, just as Jamie was saying earlier, I really, really want to encourage you, please join First Fruits, our two-week course. If you've joined the church in the last year, as Jamie said, so many people feel that as they go and do First Fruits, that's when they finally feel, yes, I belong here. I know what's going on. I know what my part is in it. I belong. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet signed up for First Fruits, please, please do. And then however long you've been part of the church, uh, do, uh, you know, sign up for that church weekend. Sign up for the boat party, the new day at the start of November. Uh, maybe sign up for a hub, you know, this touch rugby, netball, whatever it is, all those different ways of feeling, yes, I belong. And then perhaps even more importantly, but for everyone, grow. For everyone, grow. That as we belong, we don't just stay stationary, but we grow either by joining Alpha or probably for most of us here, joining a connect group. Uh, over the last month, uh, we've had a bit of a reboot of our Connect groups, and I want to encourage every single person here, I'd love you to commit to a Connect group for the coming academic year. It may be you're already in one, and you're continuing with that, and that is fantastic. Just do that with passion. Do that with enthusiasm. Get involved. But it may be for others here, either a few people, maybe you're wanting to change Connect group, but I'm guessing for more here, maybe you're not yet in a Connect group. You've never been part of a Connect group here at HTC, and I want to particularly say to you, please, would you today join a group? On our, our regular website, or even on our special avisionforjoy.com webpage that um, we'll tell you a little bit more about later, on there you can click uh, to join a group. You can uh, read about the different groups. I think there are 30 or 40 of them. Uh, you can see where they're all located and things like that. You can pick one, and you can join it, and one of the leaders will be in touch with you this week. And I would really, really encourage you to do that. And you can go to the Get Connected stand. You can go on online and do that. It would be so great if every one of us might join a Connect group. I pray that as we gather together with others in community, as we belong, as we grow in our relationship with God, actually it'll cause us, just like in Isaiah's time, to together shout for joy. On, um, on the sabbatical that Susanna and I uh, were on with the family. One of the highlights actually for us was um, when we went, when we were in Australia, uh, we went and visited uh, two people, Amos and Mary Tisarachi. Now, Amos and Mary Tisarachi are probably not known uh, to many, if any of you here, uh, but some of you will know uh, Shanali, their daughter. Uh, Shanali was part of this church uh, for six or seven years until last year, very tragically, very suddenly, uh, Shanali died while she was in her 30s. And it was such a, such a, 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 just a special, poignant time for us to go and visit Amos and Mary while we were out there. And when we visited them in their home, we had lunch together with them. Whilst the, the grief of losing their daughter obviously still weighed so heavily, you know, they said there was what, not one day that went by when they didn't grieve her loss. Actually, as Susanna and I, as we left after our special time with them, having lunch with them, what we said was it was so incredible to see the deep joy that they both had, even in the midst of such a challenging time. And as we reflected on it, I think there were three reasons that we could see such joy in them. 
The first reason was because, like the queen, they knew the reality of looking forwards and the joy of that eternal future city, where one day that they knew they would be face-to-face with Jesus and face-to-face with their daughter, Shanali, again. Second reason that we could see that they were so full of joy, because they spoke again and again, as we had lunch, they spoke of how their relationship with Jesus had actually grown since Shanali's death. Jesus had been the source of joy to them over this last year. And then the third reason that you could see their joy was because of their Christian community, the the, the support of their church as they, as a church, looked to renew their city, Melbourne. Shanali's mum told us that how since the reality of eternity, since the reality of the fragility of life had become so much more real to her since Shanali's death, how she'd been busy as as one of the church's ministries handing out food parcels to those in need in their area of Melbourne. But also, she said, I want to ensure that every week I have at least one conversation with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and share with them the joy of the Christian gospel. One person each week I want to talk to. You see, for you and I, for you and I, whatever the situation is now, whatever the situation is in the coming months, in the snow globe of your life, of my life, of our lives, even if everything is shaken up and we are in a winter of discontent, we can still be people of joy just like Shanali's mum and dad. We still can know that deep joy even in times of grief. Because you see, joy comes as you know J-O-Y. Jesus over you. Jesus over you as you look forwards to your future. Jesus over you as you look up to him in the present. And Jesus over you as we together, as we look around, as we look across at each other in this community. May each one of us, may we be people of deep joy.